Hey, thank you for joining us for episode 11 on Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline. Tommy, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome, John. It's a pleasure. It is a pleasure indeed, and I really appreciate the insights and this journey that we sometimes uh, refer to it as. It certainly is a journey, but I really thank you for uh, being here, and uh, I know it's not easy to go through these books again and again and again. Um, How many times have you been through Richard Foster's book? I think this is the fourth time that I've read the book, but certainly not as uh, focused as as it has been for the last three or four months that you and I have been doing this. And in it, that in itself is a blessing because there's so much insight in these uh, different disciplines that we can incorporate in our daily lives. And that has been a life changer. It really has. When you think about what he points out in these chapters, and sometimes he gets rather wordy, But the bottom line is, if we as Christians and we are following our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and we are here for a purpose, then these are things that we need to incorporate in our daily lives. Absolutely. And obviously, worship is something that uh, I think some of us think, well, you know, I get up and I dress up and I go to, to Sunday school and Sunday and that's it. But that's not it at all. Not at all. There's this um, mentality that with most Christians or many Christians, and I know this to be true because I've experienced this myself, that for some odd reason, we believe that our Christian walk is to be separated from the rest of our lives, that it is to be compartmentalized. For instance, I might say that I am a husband, or I might say I am uh, one who is the father of Katie or Anna or John. Um, I'm the one on the basketball court or whatnot, and I'm a Christian. But the reality of Christianity, what God intended it to be, the way Jesus lived it out in in, in his incarnation, was that... Christianity was just not another thing that was going to be added on to our Christian walk. It is to be infiltrated. It is to be molded. It is to be interwoven into every fabric. So I am a Christian husband. I am a Christian employee. I'm a Christian basketball player. I'm a Christian father. And those then change everything. So it's not just tagged on to the beginning of the week or before you go to bed or wake up or before you have a meal. It is to be integrated into every part of our lives. It certainly is, John. And you hit on a point that I think throughout Foster's book, he has focused on is where is your identity? What is your identity defined by? Is it by the world? that we gravitate to, or is it in Christ? And our identity is not married to a specific person. Our job is not our identity. Our identity is in Christ. Mm. And Christ came as a human, incarnate Christ, to prove to us the ways that we can model him in our lives. And the Gospels, the four Gospels, our whole history and teachings of Jesus. And that's why it's so very important to study those in depth. And, of course, my favorite book to me in the whole Bible is Romans. I just 
that book right is there with you, so Tommy. full of things that we can do in our lives that will free us and put us in those, those positions where God can transform us to model Christ in our lives. And we spoke, I think, last week, or maybe it was Luke week before, that uh, we're ambassadors for Christ. That's right. And he's alive. He is risen. He <laughs> is. It seems ironic that we, as Christians, uh, many times feel ourselves trying to compartmentalize our faith and what we believe about God and how God has brought us in, has poured his grace into us, and we see his glimpses. We try to compartmentalize that into separate containers of our lives, separate calendar points on our uh, daily moments. But I don't think that was ever an option. I mean, you think about the Israelites in the Old Testament. Was it ever an option that they could leave their faith that what they had been taught and what they had experienced from God, that it was just something that they could do when they wanted or when they needed. You think about Paul writing to the Thessalonians, and Paul doesn't leave us that option either. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. So it, just, it does not seem that Paul left an option for Christians to compartmentalize their faith. And worship is one of those things that is so easily compartmentalized to an hour on Sunday or a few moments before we go to bed or when we wake up or a recognition before we go on a trip or before we have a meal that will invite God into those moments. But God, you stay on your side of the fence for the rest of the time. Yes, and John, that that brings me back to you and I was chatting about this before uh, we started the recording about the Israelites. So they're in bondage in Egypt for 400 years. And here Moses and Aaron, they go down to provide an escape hatch. They leave Egypt and they wander in the desert for, for 40 years. And it was a constant complaining. I want to go back. Why do we have to do this? And then every time God provides an answer, by his grace, it's either manna, it's water, or it's whatever it is. Yeah, like their clothes don't wear out, their yeah. shoes don't need to be replaced for yeah. 40 years. That's pretty cool. But guess what they do? Let Moses go up to Mount Sinai to get the commandments. They create a golden calf to worship. As if that golden calf is going to speak to them? <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that in certain sections of the Bible, especially in, in the prophets, they talk about idols. You see it in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Ezekiel, and all down through the minor prophets about, please repent. Do you think a piece of wood can speak to you? No. They constantly were in the state of getting away in touch with God and finding some other avenue for their worship. And I think Paul points this out in Romans 6, where whatever you focus on, you are a slave to. And so what Richard Foster brings out in this chapter is really, what do you think about God? What consumes your mind when you think about God? And, and of course, we do that when 
we think about God when we enter public worship, but he goes into the rest of the week. I mean, every moment, what, what are you thinking about God? Exactly. And what if we, for just one day, incorporated God in everything that we did? Every phone call we made would say, God, bless this call. What do you want me to do, God, today? And help me do it. Give me the courage to do it, whatever that might be. When we first wake up in the morning, why don't we just say, God, thank you for another day. What do you want me to do today? And we were sitting in traffic or a traffic light or whatever it is in the grocery line. Why can't we just say, hey, God, this is a beautiful day. Thank you for the, for the opportunity to go grocery shopping or that I have a car that I can drive and got gas in it. Those are the things to me, that's worship. He created us. He created us to worship him. That's his desire for us to worship him. And it brings us back down to the reality of life. And one of the biggest things that we deal with every day, and I go back to Paul again, 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 sin. Sin to us is a natural phenomenon. We can't get away from it. It's a constant struggle. And we have to decide like you, and I go back to you and Shane again, either you're in the kingdom of God or you're in the kingdom of the world. You have to make that choice. We often think when we are told to invite God into our lives and to invite God into our moments, kind of like what you were saying, that it is something that we're doing for God. Now, obviously, that is an act of humility. It's an, it is an act of presenting yourself before God. And, but I think it does something else. It's not like God needs worship. God invites people to worship him. So I think what it does for us is it gives us an opportunity to break free from the bondage of the, the calendar, the stresses, the anxieties that consume our minds all the time. It gives us an opportunity to recognize those uh, glimpses of his grace all around us. Eugene Peterson, when he talks about prayer, he talks about prayer not as initial speech, like you are initiating a conversation. Prayer is not you getting God's attention. Prayer is you responding to God reaching out to you. And worship is the same way. Worship is not us trying to get God's attention. Worship is centered around this idea of us responding to God's goodness, to God's marvelous attributes, his, his character, his grace, his steadfast love. It's our response. So it's not like we are twisting and manipulating God to come into our lives, but it helps us worship, helps us get into a mode where we are just responding to what God is doing all around us. Like you said, the nature, thank you for letting us have these finer things or to be provided for in this manner or not. And when we are looking at uh, ourselves in that position, we're able to see other people in need also. Absolutely. And I believe, I firmly believe this, that if we would center our minds on the attributes of God, you just mentioned that just a minute ago. A.W. Tozar wrote a whole book on the attributes of God. Two volumes. Two volumes. And when we think about the power, the control, the wisdom of God, the mercy, the grace, 
that he bestows upon us, why wouldn't we worship him in every circumstance, whatever that circumstance may be? And we can't control circumstances sometimes, but the reality is it's how we respond to those circumstances that makes a difference. And if we can turn that over to God, whatever that might be, and it might be wonderful circumstances that, quite frankly, we find ourselves in most of the time. Those circumstances, our lives, where we live, how many of us go to bed every night without food? I don't think many of us at St. Paul do. You can look at us and tell that. So we have been provided, we have been given all these wonderful, wonderful opportunities. The only thing we have to do is listen and come to God in humility. That's the gateway to God is humility. I'm convinced, Tommy, that this is something that is so, so intertwined with our sinful nature that we're born with. Lisa and I have a six-year-old, and we have an 18-year-old and a 20-year-old also. For all of them, and we're seeing it lived out for us right now with our six-year-old, nobody had to teach our kids how to be selfish. Nobody had to teach our kids how to focus on what they did not have. We have to learn that. And I think that this is something that, as you mentioned in Romans, that is so very a part of how we're wired, how God intended. There's that spot that that A.W. Tozer talks about um, in his book, Created to Worship, that there is this longing for what the world will never fill. And every time we try to fill it with something else, it never satisfies. So we're always looking for that next thing, that next thing. Why don't I have this? Why isn't this? And we become consumed by that. But once we fill that God made space inside of us with him, with worship, with adoration, with this intention to bring him into the reality of everyday living, then we find ourselves satisfied. It doesn't mean that all the skies will turn, you know, blue and it will stop raining and all your problems will go away. Just look at Mary when Jesus was born. What a great story of Mary receiving the annunciation that she would become the mother of the Son of God. Did that mean that Herod would not kill the children? Did that mean that there would probably not be sibling rivalries between Jesus and his younger half-siblings? Did that mean that Jesus would not be crucified? No, it doesn't. But what happened is Mary and were invited to see from God's perspective and be filled with what the world will never be able to fill us with. And that gives us freedom. That breaks that bondage. Throughout this book, it's the disciplines of we have to train ourselves absolutely to worship, to integrate God in every aspect of our lives. And if we do that, that's when we find that eternal peace with ourselves. We don't have to be somebody that we're not. Now, God created us as a man or a woman and gave each one of us different talents or different blessings. It's our responsibility to move those along that continuum, all for the glory of God. And when we massage that self-kingdom, when we think we're the ones, 
We're the ones that have ascended on the top of the corporate ladder or whatever it is. That's when we have a problem. When we think we're smarter than God, we got a problem. And what brings us into that place of humility is worship. And throughout this chapter, Tommy, Richard Foster does not compartmentalize worship just to public worship. I mean, his argument is that worship actually goes throughout the week. It is the Monday through Saturday parts of our lives that we're invited to live into this holy presence of God being around us. And so public worship is just a means. It doesn't really matter what kind of service it is, whether it's contemporary or traditional, if they have instruments or no instruments, if they're meeting in a house or a sanctuary or a airplane hangar, it doesn't really matter. Those become a means for us to do it corporately. But the invitation that what happens or what that means invites us into this real confession, this, uh, this ability to be a part of, of real uh, praise and adoration and, and real worship, um, that those actually are not just done at those moments, but they're done throughout the week. This discipline of worship brings us to that spot where we are able to recognize and we're able to see all the things that God's doing around us that bring us to that humility that you're talking about. One of the things he points out, too, is God is not a formula. We can't box God into some formula that uh, we can massage him either way we want to and say, okay, I need this, I need that. You ever heard of the hounds of heaven? I have not. Chasing you? Oh, yes, yes, yes. And that's what God is doing. He's chasing us. And if we would only stop and turn around and listen, maybe maybe we'll understand the whole concept to worship. We don't have to come to the pageantry on Christmas Eve to worship God. I can leave here right now, get in my car and worship God. But I think we have to come to the realization that we need to worship God. He wants us to worship God. That's one of the purposes he created us. And we go back to the garden. What did Adam and Eve worship? They had a choice to make, and they made it. And look what the consequences was. And that's our lives, too. Coming to Sunday corporate worship is wonderful because we fellowship with other Christians, the body of Christ. But also we have to take that into our daily lives, Monday through Saturday, like you said. It has to be something that we consistently do because when you really think about it, when you stop and think that everything that you do is going to affect somebody, whether it's our children, our partners, our spouses, our business relationships, or just our domestic relationships, somebody is watching us all the time. And if we profess to be Christians and we're not living up to those standards, then it affects somebody else. And we will be held accountable for that. What message are we given? That's exactly right. What attracts me the most when I see a man or woman of God, what attracts me the most is their view of God. William Carey, often referred to as the father of mission work, preached a sermon that was entitled, Ask Great Things, Expect Great Things. Throughout the sermon, you will certainly start to see that it was just not asking anybody. It was ask great things of God and expect great things of God. 
And those two go hand in hand. And the discipline of worship centers around that every day, moment by moment, as you're saying, when you pick up the phone or when you're driving in the car. I mean, how big is your God? I mean, we might think, oh, you know, God's got other things to worry about. This is little. I can take care of it. You know, Paul does not leave it as an option that this is a tag team, that we take care of our part. And then when we get in trouble, we go into the ring and tag team Jesus. And he comes in and body slams our opponent. Now, this is it is not Christ and me. It's Christ in me. And this becomes the source, the spring of our worship, of inviting. So if your God is small, then you might not find yourself asking God to bless or uh, asking God to move amongst you or to guide your steps. So how big is your God? Recently, I had read the story of a man who graduated from Princeton Theological Seminary. And 12 years after he graduated from seminary, he came back and was invited back to preach at the seminary. And when he got up there to start preaching, he noticed that his old Hebrew professor was sitting in the front seat. After the sermon was over, the professor came up to him and said, if you come back again, I will not come. I will not come to hear you preach. I only come once, he said. I'm glad that you are what he called a big godder, G-O-D-D-E-R. I am so glad that you are a big godder. The professor continued, when my students come back, I come to see if they are big godders or little godders, and then I know what their ministry will be like. Now, the guy who was preaching asked the professor to explain, you know, look, this little godder, this big godder stuff, man, you got to explain this. And he said, some students have a little god. And they are always in trouble with this little God. He can't do any miracles or he can't take care of the inspiration of scriptures and their preservation or the transmission to us. They have this little God that God can't do these things. And he says, I call them little godders. And then there are those who have a great God. They believe that he speaks and it's done. He commands and it stands fast. He promises and it's secure. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of those who fear him. And then the professor looks at his former student and says, You have a great God, and he will bless your ministry. You know, the God of Joshua, the God of David, the God of Samuel, the God of Moses, Abraham, the God of Peter, the God of Paul, this is our God too. We worship the same God. So friends, do you have a little God or do you have a big God? And if you have a little God, then the discipline of worship will always fall to the margins. But if you have a big God, if you're a big Godder, then you will gravitate. You will find yourself gravitating. Make room for God in your life. Make room to respond to him and invite him into those places of your lives. Absolutely. Why don't we live our daily lives as children of God, heirs to the kingdom of God? What would be wrong with that challenge? Just try it for a week. Just say, you know, I have been blessed and I worship a living God, not a piece of wood, not a house or a car or material things, but I worship a living God 
that cares for me, that loves for me, and has bestowed unmerciful grace on us. Just think about just one simple thing. I am an adopted child in the kingdom of God, and I benefit from that. He wants to provide an abundant, blessed life for us, but he also wants us to be humble and come before him and worship him for who he is. And that's another point that Tozar points out. Know who God is and know who you are because you are not smarter than he is. When we think rightly about God, we will worship rightly. Exactly. And when we think unrightly, if that's a correct word, we will not worship rightly. And that's what Richard Foster says in his book. That is our prayer for you. We asked the question that Tommy asked, what would be the problem with this? But my question that would be secondary to that is, what would be different with your life this week if you focused on a present God? If you focused on the holy presence of God all around you and you invited him into your everyday moments. Think about that for the next couple days, the next couple weeks, especially over this holiday season of Advent as we are preparing our hearts for the incarnation and preparing our hearts for the second coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May God hold you in the palm of his hand and remind you that you are his and he is yours. God bless.